Well, good morning. In case we haven't had a chance to meet, my name's Nick. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so glad to be with you in worship. You know, I've, I started my college career off at Purdue University in Indiana. Anybody know the Boilermakers? Anybody out there? Purdue? Okay. Yeah, I thought so. It's a big school, right? And I remember my freshman year being in my intro to psych class, right? This is one of those gen ed classes, so it was huge. I mean, there's several hundred people in this class, but I had my eye on this one girl, right? She looked good. My wife's here. My wife looks way better. My wife's beautiful, right? Hey, baby, right? <laughs> but this girl's cute. And I was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to her. It took me almost the entire semester to sort of work up the courage to go and, and talk to her. And, you know, I, m- I remember the day. It was like, all right, I'm getting her number today. I'm going to try, get her number. I probably won't do it, but I'm going to try, right? And so I went and I sat down next to her. Not like right next to her. You know, it was a little creepy. But I had like the buffer seat there. So I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, you know, how am I going to start this conversation? How am I going to, you know, break, break the ice? Like, hey, how you doing? That's not good. You know, just, and the whole time I'm fiddling with this thing of binaca. I went home and I visited my, my parents over the weekend. For some reason, my dad had all this binaca, right? And if you don't know what binaca is, maybe this, this picture will help, okay? Dumb and dumber. Come on now, Yeah. It's like Listerine, like you spray it in your mouth, makes your, makes your breath smell good, right? So I'm sitting there fiddling with it, all the while my uh, psych professor's lecture, and he looked like Ben Stein. Remember Ben Stein, Ferris Bueller? Or dry red eyes, use clear eyes, that guy? He's up there just lecturing away, and I'm fiddling with this, and I somehow manage to knock the top of the binaca off, like the, the part that you spray, and, and I'm, again, I pick it up, and I'm like, well, man, how do you put this back on? And, and I start you know, messing with it, and I realize that in order to get it to go back on, you have to push and twist at the same time. It's a real interesting combination. That's what I do. So I, I push and I twist, and I squirt banaca right in my eye. And I, I, I stood up, and I forgot where I was at, stood up, splapped my hand over my face, and I let out the, the loudest blood-curling scream you've ever heard in your life. Was, I mean, just, I let it rip. Ben Stein stops lecturing. Everybody turns and looks, and I realize suddenly what I just did. And I just took off running. <laughs> Left. I never talked to the girl, but I was kind of famous for a couple weeks. Like, hey, weren't you that guy that ran out of sight class? Yeah. Let's all admit something together. Can we do that? We are not as cool as we think we are. Say amen to that. Come on. We are not as cool as we think we are. But but here's the deal. We live in a culture that is obsessed with presentation. We are. We're obsessed with keeping up appearances, right? With with fitting in. And man, we work really hard to also get, you got to make it look easy, right? Not only are you keeping up, man, it's a breeze. It's easy. So here's what that means also. You know what our culture of presentation really is? It's a culture of denial. Culture of denial, because we all have our darkness, don't we? We've got our dysfunction. We've got our rough edges. We've got our secrets. I mean, the last thing you want to do, though, is admit it, because it's all about keeping up. And so if I admit I got something wrong, that means I'm behind you. I don't want to do that. I want to stay in front of you. So the last thing I'm going to do is, is admit that there's anything wrong. Or maybe even some of us have the guts to admit that something's off. The last thing we want to do is actually deal with it. Why don't we just sort of keep it over here, off to the side, because it's not really showing up. It's not really you know, bothering anybody anyway. I hope you hear me when I say this. God will not heal who we are pretending to be. 
I'm going to say it again. God will not heal who you and I, who we're pretending to be. This morning, y'all, we are starting a brand new series called Resurrect Me. That's a desperate cry. It's a desperate plea. Resurrect me. And my my hope for us in this series is that it will move us towards daring self-awareness. Allow me to get on my soapbox for a moment, but I feel like like self-awareness is something that our part of the world is lacking so much of right now. I mean, you see it in the hypocrisy of the political world, right? And the, and the ways that people aren't even keeping their own rules. And everybody going around pointing out how that other person or that other group, it's their fault, it's their problem. All the while, we've got like a big old piece of spinach sticking in our teeth. Big old long piece of toll paper hanging off of our shoe. I think what we need more than anything is some healthy self-awareness. To have the guts to look in, to see what is really often me. Where am I wrong at? Because what I've learned, particularly about some of the discourse we see happening in the public, public area, is that there's always some wrong in my right. Think about that for a while. There's always places where I'm off base. I'm not coming at this from the right, right, right perspective. But man, in today's world, don't admit that. You just keep yelling louder than everybody else. If we're going to get anywhere, man, what we have to do is have some healthy self-awareness because God will not heal who you and I are pretending to be. And this is really at the heart of what this time of the year is all about. We kicked off the season of Lent on Ash Wednesday this past week. Some of you may be new to this whole thing, but Lent is essentially it's 40 days of preparation that, that really gets us ready, not only to celebrate resurrection, but to experience resurrection experience resurrection. How many of y'all want to know that on Easter? Do more than wear a nice dress and come get your picture taken. What if you could be changed? What if you could grow? What if you could be different? But here's the deal. The only way to Easter Sunday is through Good Friday. The only way to resurrection is through the cross. I mean, if any, if we're going to experience any sort of new life, then the old life has got to die. This is what Paul means in Galatians chapter two, verse 20. It's a theme verse for this entire series. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That word for I in the Greek, it's the word ego. Lego, my ego, right? It's actually where we get our word ego from. What he's talking about is the false self. It's who we're pretending to be. This person's got to go. This person has to die if we are ever going to experience resurrection. And this series is going to be fun, isn't it? Y'all looking forward to it? I am. It is going to be hard, but I believe it's going to be so good. What we want to do is sort of drag up some of these things that, that tend to get the best of us. And maybe not always in the most obvious ways. Drag them up. And what I want us to do is I want us to bring them to the cross so that we can experience resurrection on Easter Sunday. Now, one thing I want to say is I can imagine that for many of us in this room, there'll be a temptation during some of these weeks to sort of, sort of dismiss ourselves from the conversation. Because ah, I, don't, I don't really struggle with that issue. Please do me a favor. Don't do that. Don't do it. Because it's not always as obvious as it seems how these things get the best of us. What I want is, more than anything, for us to go into this series with with being courageous, being brave enough to consider, is this getting the best of me? So I want to challenge you, I want to challenge me to have the guts, 
right? Have the guts to consider if any or all of these issues are somehow keeping us back. Because this morning, we're going to talk about a tricky one. This morning, we're going to talk about anger. Y'all give me a growl or something. Come on. Anger. This is a tricky one, and here's why. When it comes to anger, anger's not always wrong. And it certainly isn't always right either. There's these two moments from the Gospels I think help kind of illustrate this. The first one is, is late in the Gospels when Jesus is arrested, right, in the garden. The soldiers come and they arrest Jesus, and Peter, the lovable nimcompoop that he is, right, he pulls out the sword and he chops one of the dude's ears off. Ah! He's like, what's he thinking? And Jesus rebukes him. He says, Peter, if I really wanted to take care of these guys, I could do it myself. But this is not my way. And then he gives us that famous line. Whoever lives by the sword dies by the sword. Right, so there's, there's that example. I mean, Peter in anger, lashing out and chopping somebody's, somebody's ear off, right? But then, then there's this other moment in the Gospels. It's, it's earlier in the Gospels. And Jesus walks into this synagogue on the Sabbath, right? The Sabbath is that day when you're supposed to rest. You're not supposed to work. And, and so the people had all these weird laws and rituals around that day to make sure that you didn't, you didn't break the Sabbath, right? That you didn't work. And so Jesus is in the Sabbath and in walks this guy with like a shriveled hand. His hand is just mangled. We don't know why, but it's shriveled. It doesn't work right. And Jesus knows exactly what the religious folks are thinking because he's a healer. He's been doing this all over the place. And they're like, ooh, is he going to heal this guy on the Sabbath? Because that would be violating the Sabbath. And if he does that, we got him. We got him. Jesus knows they're thinking that because he's like a Jedi, right? Something like that. But here's what the scripture says. The scripture says he looked at them in anger. But then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he healed him. But did you see the difference here, right? So you got Peter getting mad, waving his sword around, chopping everybody's ears off. It's reactionary anger, right? You feel it, you react to it, and usually that ends in something destructive. But then you've got Jesus, who's angry too, but I'd argue he's probably angry about the right things. And instead of lashing out, what's Jesus do? He responds. He doesn't react to anger, he responds to anger and ends up healing this guy. Two different things, right? This is what makes anger kind of tricky. So you can't just come into it and say, hey, don't be angry. That's not gonna happen. Being angry is a natural response to some of the things that happen in our lives. And quite frankly, I think we should be angry about, more angry about certain things in the world right now. Things that actually matter. And we should be responding in a way that, that looks a lot more like Jesus Christ. Something else that makes anger tricky, and I'm going to speak to all of you right now who are dismissing yourselves, is that anger shows up in some weird ways. Like unhealthy anger, un, unresolved anger shows up in, some, in all sorts of ways. I mean, sometimes it's loud, right? It's boisterous. It's violent. I mean, it's just like what we saw in Florida. Now, I want, I want you to hear me say this. There are all sorts of reasons why Florida happened. It's not just one issue. And for some reason, we want, we want to make it one issue. It's not just one issue. There are all sorts of issues that led up to a thing, a tragedy like Florida. But I can imagine one of those issues being unresolved anger. But it doesn't always show up like that, though. Sometimes it's more quiet. Like sometimes it's this sort of smoldering resentment that we have. that just kind of hangs there with us towards somebody. And so like whenever you hear their name, it's like you got to make sure people know what they did to you. Right, you you got to make sure they know about that moment. You know what they did to me? Here's what they did to me. Every time the name gets brought up. 
Right? Or, or, or there's, some, there's some people, if we're really honest, right, we, we sort of secretly love it when something bad happens to them. Come on now. I'm going to get real. You get real too, right? Like on the surface, we hear about something bad. Oh, I'm so sad. Bless their heart. But back inside, you're like, yes, yes. Wait, tell me again what happened. Could you say it again? Could you say it slower? Could you draw some pictures? Right? People that we celebrate when something bad happens to them. For some of us, it shows up in, in, in passive aggressive ways. It's like, it's like overt sarcasm. I love, I love some good sarcasm. I'm not going to lie. It's funny. But when it's constant, what's that about? Where's that coming from? Some of us, we're just, we're like overly critical. I love y'all. But sometimes when you blow, when you blow steam off because they didn't like unload the groceries the right way and the refrigerator's a mess and you're just like, I can't believe we did this. Come on now. Where's that coming from? Right, it shows up that way. And then, and then in other times, anger, unresolved anger, it shows up more in this sort of distanced sort of way, like avoidance. It's funny, I'll talk to some people who, who've been through, through divorce and I've noticed that they will never call their ex by their name. It's just their ex. Like they're no longer a person anymore. And perhaps the scariest version is when that anger gets turned inward on ourselves. And so we self-sabotage. You know, you know people like that? It's like they'll never let themselves win. It's like things start to get good and what do they do? They mess it up. I would argue all of these are forms of unresolved anger. And so now that I've covered everybody in the room, you can't dismiss yourself from this. We all have issues with anger. The reality is it's incredibly destructive. Anger shows up and and it ruins some of our closest relationships. So how do we have a healthy relationship with it? Well, I want us to go to the book of Ephesians. For that, Ephesians chapter four. I'll give you a second to turn there. Ephesians chapter four. We're gonna look at. Let's take a look at like three, three maybe four verses here. But I want us to move really slowly through them because they're incredibly helpful. I mean, the author Paul is packing just amazing wisdom in just three, four short verses. Ephesians chapter four. We'll start in verse twenty-six. Are you out there? This is me being insecure, wanting to know you're listening. Make some noise. Ephesians chapter four, verse 26. Here's what he says. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Now let's jump down to verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. It's all I want us to look at. Just those few verses. Well, let's start at the very beginning, right? Verse 26. In your anger, do not sin. Now, some translations actually put it like this. Be angry and do not sin. Let's take that first part. Be angry. That doesn't sound like a suggestion to me. It sounds like a command, doesn't it? Be angry. So I think this is so important for us to, 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 start, to start here, right? The first part of this is, is to be angry. Some of us, we grew up in homes, didn't we? Where we were taught, or, or maybe you had to learn how to survive in a particular context, right? Where you were taught the only way to deal with a negative emotion is what? Don't deal with it. Ignore it. Stuff it. Push it down. Pretend like it isn't there. 
for a lot of us, this is, this is how we were taught, or this is how we had to survive in the homes where we grew up. But here's the thing. We cannot selectively numb our emotions. Renowned research psychologist Brene Brown, I, I highly recommend reading everything she's ever written. But she talks about this. She says, we, we can't selectively numb our emotions. When we try to numb one, like try to numb our negative emotions, we simultaneously numb all of them. Because we were created to feel. It's a part of who we are. It's how we're wired. We're meant to be emotive people. And so when you shut down, when you try not to feel one thing, it ends up impacting all of them. It makes me wonder, I mean, how much of our depression, how much of our anxiety is actually linked to unresolved anger? When you stuff it, when you push it, push it away, I promise you, it's going to show up somewhere else. It's kind of like we have an espresso maker at our house. My mother-in-law got it for me a couple Christmases ago. Love that thing. Love me some espresso. First time I used it, though, I, I remember it has that little like frothing mechanism on the side. You know what I'm talking about? I love the way that sounds. <laughs> that was a horrible impression. But nothing better than some froth steamed milk. So I made my first espresso. It was great. I loved it. Came back about two hours later and I wanted to make some more. I didn't read the instructions. Instructions were you've got to get all the steam out before you open the thing on the top. Otherwise, what's going to happen? <laughs> it singed all my knuckle hair off. Smelled awful, right? Here's what I know. We've got to do something with that emotion because it's going to get out somewhere at some point in time. That's what I love about the Bible. The Bible is the most honest book you'll ever read. Read through the Psalms. There's some places in the Psalms that are really uncomfortable for me to read because the author is mad. Talking about like hurting babies. I'm serious. Go read it. It's awful. This is not saying anything about the character of God. You know what it is? It's somebody being angry. They're getting it out. They're letting the steam out. First thing is be angry. I was, I was talking to a friend of mine about this, somebody I, I really respect, and sharing with me kind of his relationship with this. What I do, it's sermon research. You don't want to hang out with me during the week when I'm preaching because I'm going to talk to you about it all the time. Right, baby? <laughs> but he was talking about how, you know, he's, he's in this place in his life where he's, he's having to deal with some stuff in his childhood. He thought he could go his whole life and not deal with it. Then he, started, then he had kids, and he suddenly realized it's not an option. You don't deal with that. It starts showing up in your own family. Anybody know a thing or two about that? And so he had to really wrestle with some of the stuff that happened when he was a kid, and he was able to recently kind of name what childhood was like for him. And here's what he said. He says, like, I, I didn't feel like I was ever really given a chance to be a kid. Because of his parents' unhealth, he felt like he had to be the parent. And so, so like when it came to negative emotions, being angry, being frustrated, he didn't think he was allowed to have any of these because his parents couldn't handle him having any of these. And so he stuffed it. He dealt with it. That's, that's how he did it. But, but lately he's been working through this and, and trying to get, get healthy. And here's what he told me. He's like, there are these times, he said like when I'm running and all of a sudden I just start crying and I feel like an idiot because I don't know why I'm crying. I'm listening to like Jay-Z and my headphones and I'm crying. And there's times, other times where I'm just mad. Like I just feel angry. I don't know why I'm angry. I'm just angry. And he said, I started thinking about it. Here's, here's what feels right. Here's where I think this is coming from. It's like there's this seven-year-old kid inside of me who's suddenly starting to get a voice. And I'll be honest, a lot of this doesn't make sense, but it's cathartic. And I feel like there's some things breaking loose. I wonder how many of us in this room can relate to that. First step is be angry. Let it out. 
But the trick is we've got to do it in a way that's healthy, not cutting people's ears off, but harnessing it in a way that leads to life. Let's go back to the verse, right? Ephesians chapter four, verse 26. Second half of that verse. Be angry and don't sin. Be angry and don't sin. Don't be reactionary to this. Like here, Here's another way to say it maybe. Be angry, but realize you're angry. I don't know if you're like me. Anger is such a powerful motivator, isn't it? It's like even like our, our sweet little friends who are nice and gentle and cute, when they get angry, you know it. I mean, you can't hide anger. It's like your nostrils start to flare. Like some of us get red faced. You start breathing heavy. Like when you're angry, like you ever tried talking when you're angry and your voice is shaky? Angry is this incredibly powerful motivator. So the thing is, what you want to do is make sure you're not reacting from that place because it can get us into trouble. I mean, my wife and I, we just celebrated nine years of marriage two weeks ago. Yeah, two weeks ago, right? About to get real life in here. I didn't ask permission to share this, but I don't think you'll mind. Pray for me, just kidding. It's my fault. It's all my fault. So the morning of our anniversary, we got into a little tiff, didn't we? We got a little fight over something. It probably wasn't anything serious, but I got mad. I got mad. And what do you do when you're mad? You start brewing, don't you? And so stewing. So I went into the girls' room and I was picking up all their stuff. And, and I'm just, my, my brain is like going on warp speed. And what I'm doing is I'm bringing all this stuff up from the past. I'm, I'm pulling out my lists, you know, things that I've been keeping track of that I've wanted to say, right? I'm, I'm having the arguments in my head before we actually have them. Anybody else do this sort of thing when you get mad? Yeah? I mean, my brain is just going on, on hyperdrive. And then all of a sudden I realize, you know what? None of this has anything to do with that. None of this does. You're just mad. You're angry. And I think often what we have to do is when we're mad, we have to realize we're mad. We've got to put some distance in between how we're feeling and our circumstances. I'm not talking about avoiding it. I'm talking about, not talking about repressing it. I'm talking about taking a time out to get some perspective. It's why I, I try really hard to not make any decisions when I'm mad draw any conclusions. Sometimes I don't even want to talk. Like, I don't want to say anything to you that I'm going to regret saying. Which leads me to this. Sometimes anger will motivate us to say something to somebody, finally, that really needs to be said. The danger is, though, if we're not careful, we'll say it in a way that really doesn't do any good, where the message gets lost in translation. And so, often, so what's the wisdom here? Be angry, but don't sin. Pause. Take a moment. Get some perspective. Man, I tell you what, a lot of us in this room would save ourselves from a whole lot of conflict if we would just do that. Wouldn't you agree? Pause. Take a second. Now, we've only looked at like half of a verse, right? So we've got to get back into here. There's, some, there's a whole lot more going on. And here's where it starts to get a little bit, a little more deep. Let's go back to verse 26. So be angry, but don't sin. Here's where I want us to drill down for a moment. Because there's a difference between getting, being, being, between getting angry and being angry. Let me say that for a moment. Like there's a difference between sort of in those moments where we get angry, where the person cuts us off, right? Or, or where somebody does something and it just irritates us. That's getting angry. It's normal. That's, that's, that's fine. But then there's, there's being angry. There's people who are like always angry, who carry it with them into relationships, who take it out on people, that they love, but have nothing to do with it. You know what I'm talking about? There's a difference there. And here, I believe Paul begins to address that sort of anger. 
Not, not just the normal uh, anger that happens when, when, when something comes our way, but the kind of anger we carry with us. Here's what he says. He says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. This is like a popular saying back in the day, like a proverb back then. It's that thing that your mom would tell you all the time, right? Like, like a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Can anybody explain to me what that means, by the way? I just don't get it. It's one of those things, though. Like, it was just, you just knew it. You could start the saying, and then somebody could finish it. What Paul was doing here is he's saying, hey, you know that thing your mom says about anger? It's true. It's true. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And to really get this, you kind of got to step back for a second. I mean, there's some couples in the room who take this literally, right? You sort of put it into your vows. We're not going to sleep at night until we work this out. It's like three o'clock in the morning. You're still trying to work it out. That's great. That's wonderful. But I found there's some issues that are tied up in anger that you're not going to resolve before the sun goes down. It's going to take some time. Here's what I believe this saying is talking about. Don't carry that anger any longer than you have to. Address it as soon as possible. I'm not talking about rushing into it and being reactionary, but understand something's got to get addressed here. You've got to resolve this. Don't carry it any longer than you have to. And, and here's how it works. When you and I, when, when anger gets the best of us, if you think about those moments where anger starts to kind of control you, here's, here's what's going on. Is that at the heart of it, something's been taken from us. You got to kind of step back and look at this from a big picture perspective. Something's been taken from us. I mean, maybe somebody embarrassed you in public. What, what, what do they take from you? Piece of your dignity, right? I mean, they embarrassed you. It's it's been taken from you. Or maybe somebody takes credit for something at work. They're taking their recognition, your your recognition from you. They're taking from you. Or maybe growing up, one of your parents left. They abandoned you. A part of your childhood was taken from you. Do you see where I'm coming from? Maybe you went through a divorce and and, and a spouse left you, right? They, They took a part of you with them. They took a part of your life with them. They've taken something from you. And now here's, this is so important. And this is perfectly normal and it's healthy. There is now an open account with them. They took something from you and they owe it back. This is what the Bible calls justice. It's perfectly normal. Hear me when I say that. Something's been taken and it needs to be paid back, right? So when we're angry, it comes from this sense that somebody took something. You hear that? Somebody took something. This is so important. And here's why. If we don't address the original wound, the thing that made us angry, all of this time starts to go by, right? And all of these other things start to happen. And here's the danger. It becomes harder and harder to identify the original somebody and the original something that's wrapped up in this anger. And this is when it becomes internalized. This is when it really starts to get the best of us. In fact, this is what Paul is getting at here. He does something really clever. We, we don't see it in our English translations, but Paul actually uses a different word for anger here in the proverb than he did earlier in the verse. The word here in the Greek, it literally is, is this word paraorge, and it literally means submerged anger. This is anger that wasn't addressed. The sun has gone down 
on this anger. It's beneath the surface. It's submerged. It's been internalized. And now it's this pollutant that's stinking up everything. Sort of like Brussels sprouts. My wife and I are trying to eat healthy. We really got into Brussels sprouts. These things I used to can't stand look like alien bean pods, right? Turns out, though, if you cook these things in the oven forever, right, they're actually really good. But the trouble with Brussels sprouts is what? They stink. I mean, they stink up the whole house. And you cannot isolate the smell of Brussels sprouts to one room. It's going to stink the whole house up. Am I right? It's the same with unresolved anger. It might have originally been with this one person over this one thing, but when it gets internalized, when we don't deal with it, it becomes this stinky, polluted force that then spills over into all of our other relationships. And so I hear people all the time say, I don't get it. When I'm at work, I'm so patient. I'm so great. I'm smiley. Everybody loves me. And then I get home. What do you do with your kids? What do you do to your spouse? You see, the something has nothing to do with them, but who are you taking it out on? This is the danger of internalizing our anger, of not dealing with it. Time goes on, and we begin to lose sight of the original somebody and the original something that was taken from us. And then it just pollutes everything. And so, so maybe there's somebody you know. Maybe it's your spouse. And it's like they're always angry. Maybe you've, you've even tried to talk about this and, and they'll point out how it's because you're doing this and you're doing that. But the truth is, if you were to get really honest, it feels like they brought this anger with them into the relationship. And so you have to walk around on eggshells all the time with them. And, and it's like nothing you can do to resolve it. You can't fix it. And here's why. You're trying to close an account that's not yours to close. You're trying to address a wound you didn't make. And the sad thing is this person's oblivious to it because they've waited too long. Too much time has gone by. And now what was about this person and this thing, guess what? It's impacting everybody. So Paul's word is don't let the sun go down on your anger. You got to deal with it. Otherwise, everybody you love is going to have to deal with it. So he goes on to say in verse 32 or 31, it says, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. His advice is quite simple, but I hope you're hearing it. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. When it comes to this anger, do whatever it is you have to do to get it out of your life. We can't miss the urgency here. We can't miss the urgency because often, this is what I see. I spend some time with people. You know, that's part of my job. And, and here's what I see. I see people often so passionately defending their anger because of why they got it instead of being willing to do whatever it takes to get rid of it. It's things like, Nick, you don't understand what I've been through. You don't know what they did to me. You don't know how bad that hurt. You're right, I don't. But I want you to know, I, I've heard this story before. I know where it leads. At some point in time, the question has got to turn to this. How bad do you want it gone? How bad do you want it gone? There's a sense of urgency that has to take place where, where it, it moves past just being paid back. Right, Getting rid of this anger, it, it supersedes wanting to get paid back. Instead, it says, you know what? I'm tired of this controlling me. I'm tired of this spilling over in my other relationships. I don't want it anymore. I want to get rid of it. 
Which leads us to what Paul says next. And this is the hard part, y'all. No, I love you, right? Verse 32. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. The F word. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. We got to talk about forgiveness. Because ultimately, if we're going to move past anger, if we're going to move past that, we're going to have to forgive. Forgiveness is hard. And it's hard. So hard, but it's absolutely necessary. So I want to have just a quick conversation around forgiveness because it's a complicated thing. I wish we had a whole series just on the issue of forgiveness because I would argue it's one of the top three things all of us in this room struggle with. All of us do. First of all, what does it mean? What does it mean to even forgive? Well, let's go back to the original words. In that context, this word forgive was, was really a legal transaction. It was, it was to cancel a debt. It was to close an account. That's kind of helpful for me because what it says is, you know what? You took something from me. You took my childhood. You took my innocence. You took this from me. But in forgiving, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to close that account. I'm going to cancel that debt. I'm not going to hold it over your head anymore. Now, the word literally means to send away. And I like that one because there's a sort of word picture, right? I picture this person letting go of a balloon. I'm not going to hold on to this anymore. I'm going to let it go. And that one's particularly helpful for me because I'll be honest, I've had to work through some pretty serious forgiveness issues in my life. And for a long time, I felt like it meant I had to have warm and fuzzies about the person. I had to come to this place where I actually was okay with what happened. Can I tell you right now? That's not where forgiveness is. Forgiveness is not being okay with what happened. You don't ever have to be okay with what happened. You know what forgiveness is? It's choosing to not allow the past to sabotage your future. So forgiveness is so for me, I know that I've forgiven somebody when I stop holding them accountable for my future. We all got to hear that because there's some of us in this room and we've been through some really hard things. And if you're not careful, sometimes all of this becomes a crutch. It becomes our excuse for not moving forward. You don't know what happened to me, Nick. You're right, I don't. But I do know it doesn't have to keep getting the best of you. It's that point when you actually just let it go. When you make that statement, you know what? This is no longer going to control my future. I am no longer going to live in the shadow of this thing that happened to me 20 years ago. I'm going to send it away. I'm going to close the account. I think we got to get this because sometimes we withhold forgiveness because we don't want to let the other person off the hook, right? We want them to pay. But who's really paying? Somebody told me this this past week that there was, there was this person that had a really big grudge against in college, did something that just really hurt them, embarrassed them in front of a bunch of people. And they, they had this thought one day. They're like, you know what? I bet I hardly ever cross their mind. They probably never think about me. But how much am I thinking about them? How often do I replay what they did over and over and over again? How often do I think about what I would do if I had a chance to get back to them? Who's really stuck here? Who really needs to be released? Who really needs to be set free? That's why somebody said it like this. Another beautiful way to say it. To forgive is to set someone free and realize it was you. What do you need to send away this morning? What do you need to let go of? 
Remember, this whole time of the year, we're working our way towards the cross. What's the cross have to say about this? Well, Paul said it like this, forgive just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. You still struggling with this? Let's put it into perspective. God has forgiven you for every wrongdoing you've ever done and for the ones you still haven't done yet. <laughs> He's forgiven you. And so if you want some perspective on this, it looks kind of silly, doesn't it? It looks sort of silly for people who have been offered so much grace to withhold grace from anybody. But I've found that I'm able to forgive when I've done my own interior work, right? When I've done that introspection, when I'm living in close proximity to God's grace for me, it's a whole lot easier for me to release that grace to other people. When I've had to make room in my own life for, for the darkness that's there, I'm a bit more patient and compassionate for other people and theirs. And there's another side to this though, because some of us are holding on to a debt that'll probably never get paid. That that person probably could never pay even if they wanted to. You can't go back to when you were 16. They can't give you your innocence back. Your dad may never say he's sorry. You can't go back and fix any of that. And so if our peace is, is dependent on somebody paying us back, then we, we may never know peace. Instead, we have to allow God to fill in those places. It's like when I, I worked with a guy on death row, I was his pastor when I was in Ohio. And so I got to know a lot about some of the issues surrounding the whole, whole deal with capital punishment. I'll never forget this one person who spent a lot of time with the families of the victims, they were telling me how often families look towards the execution date of the person who murdered their loved one. They look forward to it with this sort of expectancy, right? This sort of hopefulness that, that once that person dies, I'm going to know peace. Once that person pays for this, then there's going to be closure. But here's what the person told me. Interesting enough, most of the families who do that, after the execution, they're worse than they were before. Because the execution came and there was no peace. And now there was nobody left to hate. Hear me when I say this. People can't take anything from you that God can't heal in you. This is what the cross is about. And often we lift up the cross as just this thing that, that God did to take care of our, all the ways we've messed up. That's part of it. But the cross is also where God takes our suffering. God takes our woundedness onto himself, becomes the great sufferer, and overcomes it. And as crazy as this sounds, and as cliche as this sounds, man, when people cling to the cross, when people embrace the saving love of God, when people identify with the, with the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ, I'm going to tell you something right now. Something happens. Something changes in us. Things are taken away. Peace is offered. So this morning, what sense of anger do you need to release? What count do you need to close? What debt do you need to cancel? In closing, I'm going to offer you three thoughts on how we do this. What does this look like, practically speaking? First thing we've got to do is we've got to name who. Remember, 
All this anger, it comes from an original who and an original what, right? Name who. Who was it? Who hurt you? Who took something from you? Name it. And sometimes we're tempted to start naming the people that are around us right now, right? People we're sitting with. Please do me a favor. Be willing to ask this question. Go back. Go back a couple seasons. Go back a few years and start asking this question. Because often the people that were around are actually paying for something that somebody else did a long time ago. Ask this question as you look back. Second thing, identify what. What did they take from you? What was it that wasn't there? Be specific. Open up a list and keep it open for a couple weeks. What didn't you have? Was it your childhood? What did they take from you? Name it. And then lastly, send it away. Send it away. And what I mean, I want you to do something big here. Right? Do something like that requires you to actually do something. I've heard people sometimes making a list like we talked about, and then what they do is they burn it. They light it on fire. Whatever it is, do something that symbolizes you sending this away. Maybe you tie it to a balloon and you let it go. Maybe you put it in a box and take it out in the backyard and you bury it and you put a cross over it or whatever it is. So every time you look out the window, you remember, I sent that away. I let it go. Go big with this. Get some fireworks involved. Whatever you got to do, but do something that symbolizes the choice that you're making. What we're going to do right now is they're going to lead us through just a couple minutes of a song. And I want you to invite the Holy Spirit to reveal to you some of the the issues of anger you still need to address. To bring those to the front of your mind so you can begin to do the hard work this week of letting it go.